Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Inside the Studio on iHeartRadio. My name's Jordan Runtog, but enough about me. Let's talk about my guests, who are truly one of my favorite bands in existence right now. Since bursting onto the world stage almost exactly a decade ago, this Scottish trio have carved out a unique sound, bringing DIY punk ethos to synthy dance pop bangers like The Mother We Share, Leave a Trace, and Clearest Blue. Their latest album, Screen Violence, is told through the refracted lens of a horror story. It's not quite a concept album, but the affectionate nod to 80s slasher classics doubles as a biting commentary on our modern screen-centric existence. It also spotlights the constant abuse and harassment that women are regularly subjected to online and in real life. Tracks like He Said, She Said, Good Girls, and Final Girl all grapple with themes of misogyny, abuse of power, and gender standards. These issues are tackled from a place of strength with a lyrical intellect that's become part of the group's trademark. I'm so happy to welcome Lauren Mayberry, Martin Doherty, and Ian Cook of Churches. Nice, good Thanks. to see you again. The new record is incredible. I can't wait to uh, to go deep on that. But to begin with, I want to ask you a simple question, which is one that's taken on a new resonance, I'd say, in the last 18 months, which is, how are you? How are you guys doing today? I mean, it comes and it goes, doesn't it? I suppose for everybody. Yeah. But yeah, we feel good. I feel good that the record is finally out and that people have been really responsive to it. And, you know, it's not always a given, especially in these times. So I think we feel, I feel thankful for that. 
Oh, that is wonderful to hear. I mean, the new album is called Screen Violence, and much of it was made through screens during uh, during lockdown when you were all separated, in some cases by an ocean. Was it challenging making this record in such a segmented way, effectively, you know, in your own individual vacuums? Yeah, I mean, we definitely had to adapt and think on our feet and sort of really shake up the way that we were used to working in order to to get it done. But uh, eventually we, we sort of figured out ways that, that we could make the technology work and the time zones work and... Uh, and and ultimately got to a place where we were working really efficiently and really creatively, just as we would sort of normally. So I guess we're lucky in that regard to have managed to figure that out. But um, yeah, it definitely had its challenges. But um, you know, I guess as they say, the proof is in the pudding. And I'm so proud of this album. And I, I think uh, whatever we did, we did something right. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I mean, none of those challenges come across at all listening to it. I mean, it's all so cohesive. It's amazing to think of how you did put this all together. It's, it's really incredible. I mean, we've relied on our screens so much more in the last 18 months. I mean, for being connected, for entertainment, for information. Has this weird period changed your relationship with technology in any way? Um, I feel like I'm always learning about new audio programs I never heard of before, to be honest. <laughs> like still to this day, we did an interview yesterday and they used a program I'd never heard of in my life. And I was like, well, there's just a whole world out there that I don't understand. But yeah, I feel like touring and stuff, I definitely appreciate smartphones and video calling and those things anyway. But especially in the last year when everyone's been so disconnected. Yeah, if we didn't have any of those things, I think all of this would have been a lot more isolating and lonely. And it would have been basically impossible to make a record mm. without it, I think. So. It's funny, I've been talking to a, a number of musicians in the last year and a half, and so many seem to have leaned in with their music to sort of up-tempo, optimistic, sunny, positive. You seem to have embraced the darkness in an awesome way and embraced the ambiguity of life, I guess, in a, in a way. The record that opens with the line, I don't want to say I'm afraid to die on the opening track, asking for a friend. Would you say that you're a band of optimists? I mean, it depends <laughs> on the day. Like, I guess, you know, we've made songs that are sunnier and songs that are not as sunny and I feel like it's just about trying to figure out where you're at when you make things like if you try and push yourself to do one thing mm. or the other then it's not going to come out quite right so mm. yeah I think that we were just kind of ready for a bit more of the gothy darkness when it came time <laughs> for this and you know in a way lucky to have had that template going in because I think it would be really difficult to make super cheery smiley music yeah. last year when nobody feels like that I don't think so it's certainly more honest we already mining something that was then you felt more of when you're locked in your house it was definitely a point where our management were uh, were kind of urging us to write happier music <laughs> Is that right? uh, because you know it's like if everybody's going through the same really dark time and um the, the fear i guess is that like there will be a flood of sort of miserable depressing music but uh no i think i think you can only really write what's true and authentic to yourself at the, at the time and and i think for us to write like sunny happy pop music and ignore the fact that you know that, that we're grounded in where we're at is like would have been a really difficult thing like a, a really difficult thing for us to pull off and I'm, gl I'm glad that we saw because I, I do think that um even though the music is quite melancholy and the lyrics are, are quite sad in places I do think that there's always with this band like a kind of optimistic like ray of sunshine in there as well you know what I mean a bit of balance yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it's much more, I think, emotionally authentic to what people were feeling in the last year and a half and to pretend that, you know, did you have it be pure escapism? What did I ask you about the, the title? Because on the surface, when I first heard it, I thought, oh my gosh, what a way to crystallize the last year and a half. Screen violence, everybody on the screens. I didn't realize that that was in the running to be a band name when you when you formed a decade ago. Can you tell me more about how you landed on that as the uh, as a title? I guess it was kind of a 
happy unhappy accident that ended up being more poignant than we intended but yeah it was a band name that we talked about in like 2011 2012 like we all really loved the imagery of it and what it's referring to like that era of cinema and horror movies but it felt maybe it just wasn't right for a band name but we were touring in 2019 and re-found this list of names and it just seems like a very vivid not concept but writing starting point to go off of and it's been really fun especially with the visuals and like the little tongue tongue and cheek references on the record it's been fun to play with those kind of things and have those elements be more escapist even though the songs are still feel personal to all of us and are grounded in that space yeah how did the the, the horror motif come through how did that idea take root yeah i guess it was uh, this green violence concept um uh, not that it's a concept album per se it gave us a kind of like lens to focus the music through and the, and the lyrics through you know what i mean it was, it was like we've all been such big fans of, of uh, horror movies and sort of sci-fi movies growing up and uh, and musically a lot of those things were formative you know like watching videos of like the terminator and ghostbusters and nightmare on elm street <laughs> as kids and of course that the, the not just the films stick with you but the music sticks with you and the atmosphere that the music creates and uh, that's something that we were definitely quite keen to sort of experiment with leaning into a little bit more because you know it's fun more than anything else <laughs> i read i'm not sure it's true i mean just how indelible it is to the to the story of your band didn't you meet at a screening of uh, the exorcist well yeah lauren and i um that's I think the first time that we met yeah <laughs> she was working at the cinema yeah and it's funny i guess like each of us individually and together have memories of those things too. and then remember on the first record i was looking through a bunch of photos the other day and i found a picture of us all watching buffy the vampire slayer on the bus <laughs> like on the first first bus tour that we did and i feel like it's always been part of what we love as people and as a band and it's nice nice in a way it's quite poetic that it came right back around to that you know a lot of making music we take seriously but it's fun in a way to not have to be so serious about certain things and like there's always been that element to the band when you guys have been putting in certain references or certain bits are left in the music which are supposed to you know which are not which are references to something or are fun in jokes to things and it was nice to be able to do that in a way on this record which on the face of it can be quite serious but in another way is quite knowing and tongue-in-cheek I suppose. I mean, taking it back to the very beginning, I read that you actually used visual cues and mood boards before, like when you were at the very beginning of these sessions. Can you tell me more about how that factored in into the music? Well, I don't. I think that's definitely something that I've started doing in the last few years. Probably the th first, the third album was the first time we started sending those kinds of things around. But some of the visuals on that record are really cool, but some of them didn't really end up how we intended them to. And I think going into this, because we knew there was more thematic stuff going on around it it felt like, oh, maybe this will be fun to plan in, in terms of just giving me ideas. I didn't really think this will end up being a brief for what happens. But, you know, happy accident, I suppose. But I feel like for lyrics especially, that's always how it's helpful for me to start, like taking in lots of other art, uh, whether that's films or books or actual physical art. And I love a, I love a good Pinterest board. These guys can attest <laughs> to that. I'm like, look at my 12 Pinterest boards about different things to do with this album it's but been very useful some yeah okay good sometimes i feel like I'm like they don't want to see my multiple but they want nobody wants to see the pinterest board about merch i feel like <laughs> but i enjoy it i like it's nice 
It's funny you mention that. I was a, a screenwriting major in college, and whenever I was stuck on a plot point or a scene, I would go for a walk and listen to music. And either the mood of the music or a lyric line would inspire part of the dialogue or something. It would always kind of reprime the pump and kind of fix whatever was blocked in my head. So it's funny that it kind of goes both ways by using visuals for, for audio cues. Yeah, and I feel like it's never... I'm always often afraid almost to listen to other music when I'm trying to write music just in case something seeps into your brain lyrically that it shouldn't. So I'm like, ah. if anything, I feel like it has to be other art forms that do that. And I listened to a podcast with uh, Sofia Coppola where she was talking about that. Um, she was talking about all the soundtracks in her films and why they're so important to the stories. But she says that when she writes, she always kind of sets a, a mood with like a playlist in the background of what she thinks she wants to channel. And I was like, oh, she does it too. So it can't be wrong. <laughs> well, not, like, she's obviously min mining really interesting things out of that. So interesting how the different art forms feed into another. On your last album, you worked with producer Greg Kirsten, who's worked with everybody, Adele, Foo Fighters. Was it always the plan to, to get back to producing this album completely on your own? Or did the pandemic kind of make it so that that just sort of made more sense from a practical standpoint to just keep it among yourselves? Yeah, I think it was something that we that we had decided on before, uh, before we um, were sort of taking down by the pandemic you know the last album was uh we decided to experiment with in all honesty we had a a, a sort of six to eight month period in new york where we were writing on our own and things weren't like really there wasn't like any real momentum and the songs weren't amazing um and we kind of decided to kind of cast the net wide and see what working with other people uh, would bring in terms of inspiration and sort of you know fresh ideas but I think when you when we particularly work with other people we're always kind of like trying to steal their their techniques not their ideas but their techniques and uh, and I think that was really eye-opening in a lot of ways and, and we took a lot of stuff from that back to home base and sort of processed it in, in a way that suited <coughs> us and that's a lot of the reason why I think we feel so happy with the way this album came out because it's like the product of all the stuff that we've learned since over the last 10 years working with us working with other people and being able to sort of channel that back into the original kind of home base setup you know Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, 
And of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Martin, I know while the rest of us in lockdown were uh, making sourdough bread and banana bread, I'd read that you were making guitar pedals. Did uh, any of that experimentation come to, to bear on, uh, on this new album? I made some sourdough bread too. <laughs> but did you? <laughs> yeah, but I had to stop making sourdough bread because I was eating it all. <laughs> and uh, lockdown... I'm not as act, you're not as active as you might be in regular life. So first, I started building a a pedal board because I thought it would be fun to have a few guitar pedals to mess around with. Nice. And then, in that process, uh, I also I thought, oh, it would be nice and cool if I finally learned how to solder cables. So I cut all the cables and soldered all the cables and put together this gargantuan guitar pedal board. The beast that's yes that i thought was really fun and a really great tool in the studio but once i guess like any ambitious person or any kind of natural scholar once you get to the end of that process you go oh well what does the next level look like so i started opening up the pedals that i bought and looking at them and going oh that's interesting this distortion pedal has only like there's a very simple circuit inside of here and then next thing you know you're looking at schematics online and one thing leads to another now i have a like a bunch of pedals that i made myself that are based off of old and rare guitar pedals that it's hard to come by now so i, I sort of turned it into a a, a money saving uh, experiment because yeah. i don't have to pay thousands of dollars for these weird rare, rare pedals and be like a learning experience but the and, and also a creative tool because those the product of that learning if you're a musician or a creative, then the product of that learning ends up on in the music that you make, you know? I, I, then I got a dog, which is like what everyone does in the pandemic, and I had to stop building pedals because she was always trying to run around near the solder and iron. <laughs> or chew the wires. I'd chew in the wires and like, and then I'd be like, oh, great. My dog has a, a tiny transistor in her mouth and I'm chasing her oh, around the, the house. Hoping oh, no. That she doesn't stab herself. So... Yeah, that unfortunately, but it's probably maybe it's for the best because by now this place would be full of things that I'd made. In fact, I built this microphone that we're using as well, which is wow. Cool. But I had to stop. Can you walk me through what is the process for you of actually beginning a song? What what are the bare bones you begin with? I mean, I guess it depends. I don't know. It's kind of different for certain albums and for certain songs. In this instance, I think about half the songs of the album came from maybe just over half came from demos that I'd done before we got together. And then we wrote some in the room together and we finished most of it over lockdown. Sometimes the start can be a very solitary process and that's a good thing. But I think I prefer to write when there's other people there. In this instance, the way that things worked out, the way that we were not together as much, it was like, oh, well, we've written four songs together. That's awesome. But now Ian's in Scotland and we have to find an album. So we either like write 
and Lauren and I couldn't even hang out, so it was basically just like, here's everything that I have. Do you want to make an album out of it? And we basically did that and produced it out from there. Do you find that the uh, the best songs come the fastest, or is it more fulfilling to have the ones that you really build up piece by piece? I've experienced both sides of the coin. I mean, I can say the biggest songs come the fastest usually, but the ones that I like the most don't necessarily come the fastest. So that, I don't know. Maybe that's a that's a that's a tricky question to answer. Mm. You can write lyrics, uh, write melody and 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 a beat and like music. You could write four of those a day very easily, but lyrics take a lot longer if you want them to be good. I wanted to ask you about the, the lyrics on, on this album. There's been a lot of reviews that have noted that the lyrics on this album address themes of, of misogyny and abuse of power and gender standards in a way that hasn't cropped up so much in your music, although it's addressed in, in your interviews and in, in op-ed pieces that write, Lauren. Uh, what do you make of that? First of all, I wanted to ask you if you agree with that assessment. And then secondly, uh, if so, what led you to address these these topics in your music on this album? I feel like it's just a natural byproduct of where we're at in life probably like you're definitely right that gender and feminism have always been part of the conversation around around the band and in every single interview all the time that's what people ask us about but it's not really anything we were writing about necessarily say other than the fact that a lot of my lyrics are from my point of view which is a female point of view but yeah I feel like you write about things that you know and what your experience have been so it's like chicken and egg kind of thing like (laughs) self-fulfilling prophecy that that would make its way into the music somewhere but I don't think when I was sitting down to write songs I was consciously thinking that we should make more reference to those themes on this album it just kind of happened over the course of it and yeah you never want something to feel preachy or didactic or any of those things I feel like it has to be just a personal perspective on something and then with enough imagery and fiction around it to make it feel not fun for people, but you know what I mean? I feel like when you're writing, it should be personal to you, but it can't be so completely about that situation that people can't find themselves in it. And I guess that was what was fun, especially with the horror imagery, because there's so many things you can dig into in horror films in terms of how women are written, what stories they get, how they, how female viewers of horror feel. And I feel like that was definitely, maybe that's very academic, but that's <laughs> something I was thinking about when I was writing it especially something like Final Girl. I'm like, okay, that's definitely leaning into that world, but it's not literally a song about a final girl. It's just having fun with that kind of imagery. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. I mean, I was speaking to to two women friends of mine who are, are extremely into horror fans. They collect old 80s VHS tapes of it. And I was asking them about it, and they said that it resonates with them, and I imagine many women, because the women in those movies are the objectification and the way that, that sort of they're put in these, these impossible positions where they can't win and, and the violence. That's not an abstract notion <laughs> that to, to them. That's something that, you know, is, is part of their you know daily lives unfortunately in some ways and it really was a way that that they could feel uh seen i think was sort of how they put it which i thought was not a way that i had had looked at those movies i'm embarrassed to say but it was definitely educational to to speak to them about that well yeah and i think that it's just i hate that really basic argument of horror as a genre is misogynist because i'm like well any film in any genre can be misogynist or come from that lens depending on who made made it and what you're trying to say but i do feel like especially over the course of the last couple of years like and writing this record i watched a lot of we all watched a lot of horror films to kind of reignite that part of our brains and like yeah for me when i'm watching it i'm like i feel like there is something that you're unpacking in your subconscious 
and I've said this quote many times, but I think it's true. I'm like, all women can relate to the feeling of bargaining for their own space, their own existence, their own life in some way. You've, you know what it is to feel watched, to feel under observation, under attack. So I don't, of course, people are going to want to process those things through fiction because that's how we process everything, basically, I think. Yeah. You mentioned wanting to do it in a way that was fun. It was not the right word, but the way that, that you sort of you're able to, to process, other people are able to, to, to put their heads there. And I, I think that He Said, She Said is just an incredible song. I don't think I've heard gaslighting portrayed so effectively in music. I think that it is an absolutely amazing song, really illustrating that the expectations placed on women in society are, you know, maddening. I'm in line in the song. I feel insane. I want to ask you more about, about that track where you're effectively duetting with yourself as uh, sort of the male perspective and the female perspective. It's, uh, I think, my favorite track on the album. An incredible song. Thanks, dude. Well, yeah, that was actually the first song that got written uh, in, in the room. So obviously we had all these pre-existing demos that the guys had done, but that was the first fresh bit of writing that was done. And the hook that's in the chorus, the feel like I'm losing my mind thing was in from the first day, I think. And the call and response, uh, autotune stuff, when we were talking about the production and the guys were working on that, it was meant to be like a kind of call and response between yourself and the, the voice that you're talking about in your head, if that makes sense, I think. I mean, they'd be able to speak more on that. But yeah, I feel like it's fun to have those kinds of, it's like, it's musical imagery as well as that links with the lyrics. And I think that's really clever and I always love it. To my ears, I thought that Good Girls was almost a companion piece in so many ways, rejecting the rules that are, are laid out. And he said, she said, I think that's an amazing song too. I wanted to ask you more about uh, Good Girls as well. Well, thanks, man. Like, I feel like when I think about those songs, I'm like, it's almost like I write from two different perspectives, but I think that a lot of people can relate to that. Like, I feel like those songs are written as, I wish that this is what I did every day. And this is actually the standard I held myself to. And this is how I went through the world but it's not necessarily all the time, but it's what I can hope for. Yeah, I feel like those songs are cathartic to write, but there's coming from a more kind of performative character space, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But it's really amazing when people said that they found something in those songs, because I think everybody, we never set out to write a song that will do that. And like whenever I have, I think it's all like, we've always gone back and changed the lyrics because it's felt too preachy or not quite right. Yeah, I guess goes to show you can't over plan something in advance it just has to happen when it's going to happen that's what's cool about music and making things for for me anyway is that like we spend so much of our time being like facts not feelings and then <laughs> creation is mostly feelings not facts and i think that that's it's nice to have that flip side okay. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.
Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Because there's nothing like a weekend pause with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. You spent time as a, a music journalist earlier in your career. I mean, it's rare that I've read interviews with a band or spoken to a band that I think is so sort of aware of where they sit musically and, and their narrative. Is that sort of hard to kind of silence that static of sort of like, you know, thinking about how something might be reviewed or, or things would, would play online? Is it hard to just sort of silence all that and just focus on what you hear inside? I mean, I feel like the... Media stuff for me is more just like, I don't think we bring that into the creative space, I don't think. I guess it's more being like when we're out doing interviews or when we're on the road and there needs stuff to be done in that kind of administrative promo sense. I don't think that being a journalist taught me anything about making art, really. If anything, it taught me more that it's all completely subjective and nobody, <laughs> you know, everyone has a different opinion. And yeah, I don't, I feel like it should be music first, marketing second. It's my my feeling on it. Gotta ask you, you got John Carpenter to to do the uh, the remix on Good Girls. How as horror fans, you must have died and gone to heaven. How was that? It was pretty cool, yeah. He's um you know, he's responsible for some of my favorite films. You know, some of those movies that were actually influential to me as a creator and musician as I was growing up. It's something that Ian touched on earlier. You know, those movies that like hold a special place in your heart. John Carpenter's made some of those films for me. So it was it was pretty awesome to to have him put a spin on some of our work. Even more fun was to trade the remix with him. You know, like we, he was he said, "Well, you can pay me or you can remix me." And well, we chose <laughs> remix. I mean, it's out now, so you can hear the results. But like, we didn't want to go up against him as like a synth nerd because, <laughs> I mean, he has a lot more experience than us and. He's more celebrated and we're not idiots. So we decided to take his song in a more organic direction, you know, like a what does a John Carpenter like electronic piece <laughs> sound like, but it's more of a borderline like post rock thing. And it was I thought that was kind of a lot of fun because he, he really breathed new life into good girls as well and really respect what he did in a have tremendous respect for what he has accomplished over the years. And of course, I can't mention special guests on this album without mentioning the great Robert Smith. What was that like for you, having him with you on, on How Not to Drown? My, my God, I mean, I know you're massive Cure fans. Uh, how did that come about? We're all massive uh, Cure fans. Again, Like um, that band really formed such a part of our musical language growing up. You know, Yeah, it sort of came about in a really sort of... Uh, I don't don't want to say boring, but like not 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 from a place of inspiration per se. But uh, our manager had uh, heard that the Cure would be playing some shows next year with some new music out, and had uh, got in touch with our management to say, you know, throw that throwing our hat in the ring for potential support slots as as uh. you do as a good manager, you know. 
but but apparently Robert doesn't work with a, a manager anymore. So he got back to Campbell and said, "Hi, Campbell, what do you want?" <laughs> so he immediately <laughs> messaged us and was like, "Guys, guys, what do we want from Robert Smith?" And we were just like, "Oh, I don't know." Like, uh, so we had we had a, most of the album sort of in the bag or thereabouts by that point, and uh, and so we just took the chance and sent him like maybe six songs and and said, "If you fancy, this is what we're doing. This is where we're at." If you fancy doing anything, anything, then you know feel free to to just give it a go. And uh, he wrote back. He was like, "Yeah, I really love I love all of this stuff, but this one, How Not to Drown, I feel like I could maybe do something with." And so a couple of months went by, and we thought, "Oh, you know, it's we've, we've missed the, the chance. He's maybe like going on something else, or he's too busy, or just doesn't feel in it." But then on Halloween night last year, um, we were Halloween all night. Yeah, Halloween night. No, no joke. We were we were about to go and watch a horror film uh, here and, and drink some wine and uh, we got the email through with his demo and we were just like oh, it was just a dream come true so it still doesn't even feel real to us you know it's just it's just an incredible um, thing to have happened in our world was he very hands on like I imagine he probably has like a lot of thoughts on how he wants things to to sound and be what was he like just as a collaborator he was hands on yeah yeah very hands on which is. Kind of an amazing uh, co-sign in a lot of ways, you know, like it's not just he turned up, delivered a vocal and then left. He he stayed in the process all the way to the end, right down to the mix. He was asking for really esoteric changes, <laughs> which I can hear, Ian can hear. That's like awesome when you're going, oh, Robert wants like and to notch out some high frequency at like 4K on the cymbals. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, Robert, if that's how Robert hears it, then I'm going to notch it out in exactly the way that he asked for. Mm. Right up until the end, he was still sending over parts and going, oh, you think this could use some extra guitar here? Or do you think this could use some bits and bobs? And he was really involved in the process in a way that, you know, none of us expected or beyond anything we could have hoped for, to be honest. Now we have this thing that has his creativity on it and that, is like lives forever and whatever happens from now the band going forward we'll always have that that's so cool i mean that, that he care that much to like get all the my the sounds of the symbols and everything that's that's so wonderful i hope that makes you you feel wonderful i mean he uh, i've got like notes from robert and i'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this where he's like 1.5 db <laughs> off the bass at like this time frame in the song things like that you just don't, you just read those thoughts and you action them right away. Just don't even talk about it. There's no, uh, I think it could be maybe, no, not when it's Robert Smith. Just do it, shut up, and then send it back to him. And he's like, yeah, that's great. Nothing. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's that's better than gold right there. Yeah, that's great from Robert Smith. I'm struggling to think of a band who's done a song with Robert Smith and also Marshmello. I mean, you exist in such a fascinating place musically of having this like DIY punk background, but also these incredible dance synth bangers that you hear at a club. I mean, is it ever a struggle straddling that line between those two seemingly very diverse uh, sonic worlds? Or is it just, you know, not something that you consciously do? It's just what you want to hear. No, it's a struggle. Yeah, yeah, totally is a struggle. We don't always agree on things. The but that duality has been in the band from day one. Yeah. Like the the whole thing was that we want to be creative, we want to be expansive, we want to be forward thinking, but there's also nothing wrong with being honest and being like delivering like direct pop music that can be on the radio as well. It's just two sides of the band. It was always there, but I'd be lying if we said if I said we agreed on it all the time because we don't. 
there was a line on on California that that really stuck with me because it's so not a California sentiment. I feel like no one ever tells you there's a freedom in failure, which I think is so much to unpack there. Such a fascinating line, but again, especially in a song called California, which is such a a results oriented place. I guess is probably a kind way to say it. How did you learn that hard fought lesson? I found it a very inspiring line. As a, as, a, as a wannabe creative and somebody that, you know, sometimes struggles with that. I thought that was something that was very inspiring. I just wanted to ask you more about, about that line. Well, I don't know. I guess we all had a lot of time to reflect last year, for better or worse, whether we wanted to or not. And I don't know. I think, like, when I look back on things in my life, especially personal life, which I'm like, oh, I feel that that, that was a failure. That situation didn't go, I did badly, that went badly. Like, I look at those things and I'm like, that's kind of about how you define it. And, like, if everything was amazing all the time and all you ever did was successful in any space in your life, you don't learn anything from that, I don't think, you know? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes I think I have a bad habit of holding on to things that I shouldn't and, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> beating, I don't, I hate this the idea of beating a dead horse, but the metaphor of beating a dead horse because I don't want to fail at something. Like, I hate failing. It's just a really bad personality trait. But when I look at those things, I'm like, I think the, for me, that line's like there's freedom in letting go of those things and letting life take you where it's going to take you. I say that, but I don't know if I do. I don't know if I do that, but I'm attempting to, at least. It's hard to take your own advice, but take the freedom and move forward with it and uh, hope for the best. I mean, and speaking of moving forward, what is next for you? I've heard that, that you've got some, some new songs in the can too already. I mean, yeah, we've started. We've started because I guess we finished the the masters were done in December for mm. Screen Violence, I think, ish. So yeah, we've had a bunch of time to kind of try and think about what we might want to do next and just make use of the time really because normally we'd be touring all the time and obviously that's not happening. So we're just trying to tinker around and see what see where it takes us. Can't wait to hear it and can't wait to see you out there sooner rather than later. I hope. Ian Martin, Lauren, thank you so much for your time today and your music so grateful for your time I really appreciate it thanks mate really nice to see you we hope you enjoyed this episode of Inside the Studio a production of iHeartRadio for more episodes of Inside the Studio or other fantastic shows check out the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, 
every time or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.